your card. Let's take those cards right now. Let's take those cards right now. My brother, would you take this basket and collect those cards right now? Um, let's, gather, let's, let's, let's have some uh, collect the cards and music just to uh, sweeten the atmosphere. Praise the Lord. Has everybody got a chance to turn one in? We want to make sure everyone is accounted for. One thing we're encouraging our group leaders to do is to plan and prepare. It's hard to plan and prepare if you don't know who's going to be there. Come on, say amen. Or how many you have. And so some are saying, I don't need to fill this out. You need to fill it out so that your teachers can be prepared, your group leaders can be prepared for those that are going to be a part of their group. Amen. You gentlemen, would you assist me by taking this pulpit and bringing it down? I want to come down a little closer uh, for our study this morning. Once you've gathered your cards, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to have a word of prayer as we get into God's word this morning. Beginning a new series. Excited about that. Entitled The Power of Habit. Somebody shout, The Power of Habit. The Power a habit. How many of you have habits? Anybody have any habits out there? All right. Good ones, bad ones. Everybody has habits. And uh, we're going to study what God's word has to say. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the word of God, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We trust right now that your Holy Spirit is here to give enlightenment, understanding, conviction, and power to the powerful word of God. We expect right now that you will speak. And so we cast aside anything that would hinder what the Lord would have to say to his people this morning. Thank you. We welcome you. We embrace what you have to say. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated. Well, uh, this morning we had intended to show you some stuff on the screen, but uh, the screen's uh, having a little trouble this morning waking up. So we are going to uh, go ahead and press forward anyway. Our theme for this year, as we have prayed over, is the church has left the building. What is our theme this year, everybody? The church has left the building. One more time. What's the theme this year, everybody? The church has left the building. So by the grace of God, we want to place strong emphasis. What kind of emphasis did I say? I mean strong emphasis. We want to put strong emphasis on doing the work of ministry and not simply about talking about the work of ministry. Would you say amen? This is not the place of action. This is simply the pep rally place for us to go on out and do God's work. Would you say amen? I remember my mama used to say all the time, everybody talk about heaven ain't going there, amen? amen? And so we do a lot of talking in here. This is where we talk. This is where we preach. This is where we exhort and, and, and edify and inspire. But uh, God is looking for more than lip service. He's looking for activity and action. Would you say amen? amen? And so the theme for this year is the church has left the building so that we might be, so that we might be encouraged and inspired by the life of Jesus to go out. Somebody shout out. To go out and do the work of God. And so every fourth Sabbath, we are going to intentionally prepare an outreach activity for all of us to be a part of. We're on, on fourth Sabbath, we're going to go out into the community and we're going to be a blessing to God's people. Would you say amen? amen. Would you say amen again? Amen. How many excited about 2014? How many are ready? How many are ready? The one thing I'm learning this year as I get into this word, talking about the power of habit, 
is that in order to get ready for a new year, I make this mistake every year. In order to get ready for a new year, I can't wait till January 1. That's what I've been doing for the past few years. I've been saying I'm going to work out, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to do all that. And what happens is after the New Year's Eve uh, ball drops and all the fun and activity of eating all the sweets that were left over from Christmas, I realized that between Christmas and the New Year, I've not prepared for the New Year. I've not made any preparations. I got no plan. And it, by and large, what ends up happening to me, and, and we're not simply talking about resolutions. We're talking about setting goals. We believe in setting goals. I thank God for New Year's. I know some folks say, well, it's just another day. It is just another day, but thank God for another day, amen? <laughs> thank God we can hit the reset button, amen? And we can get a do-over, praise the Lord. And so what happens to me, and as God has revealed to me, finally, I finally prepare for the new year. God says you cannot just walk into a new year and expect to make the changes in your life that you've been talking about you're going to do since last year. you got to plan for the new year. Uh, I don't know how it's. I don't know how it's said. I think I'm gonna try to get this right. But I remember my teacher saying, "If you you fail to plan, no. If you if you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's it. And so if I fail to plan, I by default am planning to fail. And so for the for the most part of my adult life, I have been planning to fail because I've not gotten a plan together. So this morning, I want to teach you. Uh, from scripture, how to get a plan in order so that as you go into the new year, you don't simply repeat what you did last year. And I'm going to tell you right now, 90%, how many did I say? 90% of us will do exactly what we did last year. No matter what you say, oh, oh, this year's a new year. You know, everybody's got a new theme for 2014. Uh, You know, I was looking looking at some of them online. They were very funny. You know, God's going to do this in 2014. You like to rhyme. But nothing, absolutely nothing will change in a new year if there is no intentional sitting down time, writing down goals, and planning on how you do it. My mom would also tell me, she says, if you do not write it down, it will not happen. If you do not write it down, it will not happen. And I think we think sometimes because we're Christians, because we know God's word, because we go to church, and we just pray, God, make me a better person this year, it's just going to happen. Well, guess what? It doesn't happen that way. You can pray all you want. God, make me a better person. God, help me to be more healthy. God, help me to be more kind. Help me to not procrastinate and all the things. I want to yada, 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 yada. You can pray until you're blue in the face, but unless you sit down, the Bible says, write the vision. <laughs> Come on, say amen. I don't think that's proof text. I think I, think, I, think I got something there. It says, write the vision and make it so that you can run with that thing. In other words, it's hard to put your vision into action if you have not put it down on paper. And thousands and thousands of studies have been done on the psychological impact that it has on us when you write stuff down. You write stuff down. So we're going to talk about the power of habits. Oh, I wish you could see this on the screen. So I'm going to do the best I can to explain it to you. It'd be a good idea right now to take out a few things that you can write something down with so that you can get this. Today our title is Keystone Habits. Keystone Habits. We have three sermons that we're going to preach on habits. And today we're going to talk about keystone habits. Keystone habit number one, schedule God. Write that down. Keystone habit number one, schedule God. Now I know some folks are saying already, there's no need for me to schedule God because God's all in my life. (laughs) He's he's keeping me. He's always always going where he's coming from to get to where he is. Find out he's already, he's an omnipotent and omnipresent God. 
He's all in my life. Ain't no need for me to stop saying that. Or else you're going to keep getting what you got last year. What we are saying is, is that there are, there must be in the life of a Christian an intentional effort to schedule God. And I'm going to be very practical this morning. What did I say, everybody? We got to schedule who? Man, you got to schedule everybody that's important in your life. Well, come on in here. Man, I'm realizing that as a married man that's busy. And my children as well. I've got to put in my schedule. I've got to schedule time with my family. When I was in school, they told us the, the order of priorities was this. It was God, yourself. Yeah, yourself, right? You know that you're next after, after, after God. It's yourself. It's not others. You know why? The Bible says, love the Lord your God as you love yourself. If you neglect personal growth and development, then you ain't no good to nobody else. Some of you keep giving and giving and giving. And the reason why you're giving is not making a difference in people's lives because you're not changing. Amen? So it's God, it's self, and then it's your family, and then it's others. Amen? If we follow this model, then we must also schedule these kinds of things if we're going to experience the change in our lives. So let's deal with this keystone habit. Psychologists estimate, now let me blow your mind, that up to 95%, how much did I say everybody? 95% of your thoughts today are the same ones you had yesterday. 95% of your thoughts that you had today are the same ones you had yesterday according to the July 13, 2008 article in the New York Times. Let's go a little bit further. And as much as 45%, how much did we say, everybody? 45% of your actions today are the same as yesterday, according to studies by Duke University and others. In other words, it is very unlikely that you process your thinking differently every day. What this is simply saying is, is that you are a creature of habit. Not only in your thinking, but also a creature of habit in your doing. Most of us rarely, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to mess up somebody's day, mess up their routine. Can I give you a prime example? The other day, I was on this new thing where I want to start, you know, getting up early in the morning and so forth and, and continue what God has been leading me to do. And it just so happened that we had uh, 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 one of the members of the church who had uh, busted pipes. Anybody have busted pipes? Or had busted pipes. And I wish I could tell you, man, that the spirit of the Lord rose up in me. And I said, man, praise God. God has opened up an opportunity for me to go out and be a blessing to somebody. But you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, man, shucks, man, I'm trying to get in bed earlier. I got such going on. Because we are creatures of habit, anything that comes in and interferes with what we are doing generally will upset us. So understand what we're saying here. Most of what you do is habit. You being here today is habitual. Is habitual. All right? Now, what that means is, is that <laughs> your results this year will be about the same as last year if your habits remain the same. This is what I'm saying, Charmaine. If you're planning on doing it differently in 2014, then you have got to change your thinking, and therefore you have to change your habits. If you go into this new year with the same habits that you had last year, you're going to get the same thing you got last year. Is that simple? Is that easy to understand? There's, it's just, it's, it's, it's logic. If I don't make a shift in my habits, which is therefore starts in my thinking, I am going to repeat what I did last year. Let's keep on going. Let's go. Now, there's a new book out that I'm reading that I'm just gobbling up. It's called The Power of Habit, written by Charles Duhigg. I highly recommend that you pick it up. 
This is what he says. He says that in order to change your life, and especially at the new year, everybody wants to make changes. Everybody's saying, listen, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do better at this, I'm going to do better at that. What he says is most people approach it wrong, Wilburn Rudd, because they try to change too much. They're thinking, I need to eat better, I need to be kinder, I need to, uh, I need to, I need to be, study my word, I need to pray better, I need to read more books, I need to write a book, I need to exercise, I, 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 need, to, I need to get forgiveness from somebody. And so all of us, how many of you have a list in your mind right now? All of, of things that you want to get better at in your life. We all have this long list of things that we want to change. What he's saying is, is that is a, a, a straight up way to prepare for failure. If you try to make changes in, a comprehend, in the comprehensive stratus of your life, you are setting yourself up for failure. How many have tried before? How many have got, I mean, and you meant it too. You came down the altar, man, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit got, got a hold of your heart. And you said, man, Lord, I, I want to make this shift. I want to make that shift. I want to I change this. I want to change that. And, and even some of you were good enough to get your little list. And you started writing things down. And before you knew it, after about 21 days, they say it takes 21 days to establish a habit. But most, most scholars are suggesting now it takes you 66 days to establish a habit. So that's like another, that's another, that's another free 21 days. Come on, say amen. So by the time you get the new year going, you are right back in the rut. You're right back in the rut where you started before. And this is because we have identified all these things that we need to change. And from a spiritual perspective, we ought to know better than that. You can't really change your life without God. Don't we know that? You can't really change your life without God. But what he suggests in his book that I think I want to offer you today, when I saw this, I said, oh, my goodness, this fits exactly what Christ has been trying to tell us all this time. If you want to bring about change in your life, don't try to change a bunch of things. Try to, try to change main things. We call these, write this down, keystone habits. Oh, oh, oh let, me, let me go a little further. There are some habits that are worth more than others. Look at your neighbor and say there's some habits worth more than others. I'm going to tell you right now. I have a habit that I know of that I want. I want to spend more time, Ellen McNair. I want to spend a minimum of two hours a day in God's word and in prayer. That's what I want to do. I ain't saying that's what everybody else got to do. That's what I want to do. But guess what? That's not more important than another habit that I need to embrace in order for that to happen. There are certain habits that if we change that habit, it makes way for the changes of the other habits. I'm going to explain a little further, all right? Uh, there are some habits that are worth more than others. A lot more habits start a process that over time transforms everything. I'm going to tell you right now as a believer, we are so blessed because we have the word of God. Charles Duhigg, the writer of this book, he doesn't have the word of God. We've got, there are three things in the word of God, three keystone habits. I'm going to deal with one today. But if we were to focus on addressing these three main things, everything in our lives would change. Everything in our lives would change. Oh, I'm a living witness right now. Keystone habits influence how we work, how we eat, play, live, spend, and communicate. Keystone habits start a process that over time transforms everything. Somebody shout everything. 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 Here we go. Keystone habits say that success, now watch this guys, doesn't depend on getting every single thing right. Most of us think that success is, I got to get all these things right. That ain't success. 
What they're suggesting is, is if you identify a few key priorities, write that down, priorities, identify priorities. Most of us are not successful spiritually or otherwise because we do not live our lives based on priorities. That's me. I don't know how to say no. Come on in here, somebody. And I don't know when to say yes. I let other people govern my life instead of letting my priorities govern my life. And so what will happen is I'll walk home and my wife will be looking funny at me. And I realize my kids will be mad that I'm coming home too late. But I realize, and I'm going to tell you what it is in a minute. I realize if I do this one thing, it can totally shift my whole day. But it's a priority. A priority. As a Christian, you ought to be clear on what are your priorities. Many of us get up every day and we have no clear sense of what's going to happen. Do you know that Jesus did not live that way? I didn't put the statement up today, but still, I'm, I'm so tempted to go where I, I, I want to go, but uh, I, I'm trying to hold back, but I'll at least give you this right here. Every time Jesus got up in the morning, the spirit of prophecy says that he knew what he was going to do before the day got started. He knew a leper was going to come and ask him to be healed, Sister Dixon, so he was prepared Many of us are caught off guard by life because we've not identified our priorities. Oh, come on now. Can we go there? I'm going to give you some examples of keystone habits. And this is based on science. I'm going to give you some stuff based on the word. You ready for one? This is going to blow your mind. Making your bed. And cleaning your room. Some of you are neat freaks already, so you got this on lock. Huh? Some of you military folk, boy, they, 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 they ingrained that thing in you so strong, you can't shake it loose, huh? Well, some of you, they ingrained it so strong in the military, as soon as you got out. Huh? Well, some of you grew up with a mother that would not tolerate a filthy house. Well, that's where I won't. I mean, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. And so, what, let me tell you what science, scientists and psychologists are, are saying. They're saying, if you make up your bed in the morning, it will increase productivity throughout your day. That's true. This is research. Just make up your bed. And number two, it will give you a greater sense of well-being and accomplishment. That's true. That's true. You make up your bed, you step back, spray some Febreze on it, and you say, oh man, oh, but I'm all right. I've accomplished something today. Some of you go whole days without accomplishing nothing. Only thing you've accomplished is several television programs. You are not a productive person. Oh, oh, let me tell you what else making your bed does. It will, they're saying it helps you in budgeting your money. I don't know how. But see, here, what, what, what it is is this. Keystone habits, certainly, it's going to get clearer as we go. Uh, I wish this was on the screen. Keystone habits have the ability to bleed. What did I say? They bleed in other areas of your life. And so many of us are banging our heads in frustration because I can't do this and I can't stay faithful to that. And I can't because you have not identified priorities in your life that will show you what keystone, key habits you need to change. 
right, now it's going to get clear. All right, let me give you another example. Exercising. Y'all know where we're going there, right? Exercising. 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 New start. Come on, Adventist. Talk to me now. Come on in here. I know you Adventist. You ain't that Adventist. See, that's real funny. You know, Adventist. You know, Adventist. All right, boy, listen. <laughs> well, Adventist is something else. But y'all ain't, y'all ain't new start Adventist. Come on in here. Where my new start? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? New start Adventist? Huh? What, what is it? What, N starts, starts for what? Nutrition. E starts for exercise. W starts for drink water. Uh, S starts for sleep. Uh, T starts, uh, stands for uh, uh, temperance. A stands for fresh air. R stands for, uh, what is that? Rest. And T stands for what? Trust in divine power. What that is is a sunshine. Yes, yes, sunshine. So, so, so what this is is this is a comprehensive acronym that talks about the importance of health in our lives. Now, how many of you want to be healthier? Well, guess what? Scientists are discovering that if you want to be healthier, don't exercise. There is a habit. You good? But listen, you're the most healthy man in the room. You know? Come on in here, brother. Listen. <laughs> Listen here. What they're saying is, is, if you want to be healthy, this is what they have discovered. They discovered that people that track by taking a pen and a piece of paper and writing down everything they eat lose weight seven times faster than people who plan to exercise. All I said is, take a piece of paper, write down what you eat every day. And what happens over a period of time you began to see, my goodness, I had a Snickers bar. <laughs> well, then I had some donuts, huh? Or oh, then I had a carrot, and then I had pop, <laughs> and, then, and then I had a glass of water because you know you feel guilty and then you, know, you wash it down, right? And, and then I had a steak, and then I had some Popeyes, and then, and then over time you began why writing it down. You got to see, write the vision, make it plain. They say that journaling your diet is the best way to shift how you eat. Because what happens is over time, you begin to see, you begin to, you begin to stop believing the lie that you are as healthy as you think you are. I started doing tracking with my finances because I thought that I was, you know, really good with money. And as I started tracking, I started realizing how much money I spend on ridiculous stuff. Because it is a natural uh, tendency of a human being to convince themselves that they're doing better than they really are. They said that the average man, when he stands in the mirror naked and looks at himself, he thinks that he looks better than he is. They said the average man, when he stands in the mirror and looks at himself naked, that, that he feels there's nothing wrong with him. Now, <laughs> brother standing there, love handles everywhere. Come on. Creases where they ought not be creases. Your boy standing there saying, ah, that boy, your boy is bad, ain't he? There's a natural tendency in us, and sometimes what they're saying is the only way to get through your thick skull and realize that you've got to make some changes is you've got to write that thing down. So, here, exercise. Why is this a keystone habit? The benefits of exercise, here we are. If you exercise, you eat better. Some people want to eat better. But if you, eat, if you exercise, you'll eat better. If you exercise, you'll be more productive at work. If you exercise, you'll smoke less. If you exercise, you'll be more patient with people. If you exercise, you'll use credit cards less. If you exercise, <laughs> you'll be less stressed. And we know why. Dopamine, 
huh? endorphins, these things are released when we exercise. All these chemicals are released to deaden pain. Do you realize when we exercise, God has put chemicals in our bodies that are released to help, to help manage the pain of exercise. That's why my wife, when she runs, she gets runner's high. She loves to run. I don't like running. But when she runs, she gets runner's high, which is to say when she runs, she feels good. And she wants to continue to run. So that's, that's, a, that, that's exercise. Here's another keystone habit for all my families out here. Blow your mind. Couldn't believe this when I read it. This can shift your whole family life right now. Michelle, this can shift the whole thing. Listen, if you eat together as a family, if you eat together as a family, it will shift stuff that you've been trying to change in your life. Can I tell you what the, what the research says? Here it is. Eating together as a family once a day, person does this. It reduces stress. Number two, it lowers the rate of substance abuse in the family, both adults and children. Listen to this. It strengthens the relationships of family members. Wow. <laughs> Is that mind blowing or what? If we eat together, we'll be closer. You know I'm being sarcastic. Like we should know that, right? Watch this. It lowers the risk of teenage pregnancy. Families that eat together, their daughters are less likely to be teenage, to get pregnant in their teens. It lowers depression. It increases, listen y'all, grade point averages. And the difference is 2.5 to 3.5. It was, uh, they, 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 the police had put on a video, some of you saw it, certainly on the internet, they put a video of this a black family um, teaching their, 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 their little baby boy, he could have been but two years old, how to, how to, how to cuss. You saw it. Crazy. And how to respond to people when they cuss back at you. Yeah? Listen, that, they spending family time together. But they got that thing all wrong. Come on, say amen. amen. A keystone habit is eat together as a family. It lowers the rate of obesity. I know why. Does anybody know why people lose weight when they eat together as a family at home? Because you ain't going out to eat. Somebody's preparing more than likely a healthy meal. It's not processed food. Can't wait to talk about health. Processed food is what's uh, giving America all this cancer. Anything in a box and all that is processed food. And by the way, it's been designed by these companies because they have tested in their laboratories over and over again how to get people addicted to certain foods. Shit. And so they, they know we like processed and sweet. And if we get hooked on processed and sweet, more likely we'll have cancer. And if we have cancer, we'll spend a lot of money at their hospital and keep the business uh, uh, circle just, just locked. So some of us laugh and mock. Oh, you're being healthy. Okay, you keep saying that when you're in the hospital, we've got to come visit you. Nobody laughs when they're in the hospital. Amen? Now, here's the keystone habit that I want to talk about today that I think is the most important keystone habit that you can have. 
All right? It is as important as important as spending time with God. What I want to tell you right now is if you will embrace this, some of you have already embraced it, yet some of you do not have a plan to work with it. God told me, He said, Myron, if you embrace this habit, then you'll exercise, then you'll spend two hours in my word, then you'll plan for your day, then you'll write another book, then you'll journal, then, and, and, and you know, I love this, because one of the things I'm realizing now as I've been reading and studying, that the most successful people in our world, they do this thing. There's a book out right now, James White had turned it on to me, it says, What's, what successful people do before 5 a.m. in the morning. I remember Bill Clinton. said, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton got up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. every day. Now, this is where we're going to lose half the congregation. This is where we're going to lose. Some of you are already here, but you don't really know what to do with what you're doing. The number one keystone habit to reorder and shift your life is to get up 5 o'clock in the morning. To get up after 6. Now, here's the thing. Many of you, your 5 o'clock, and it's, it's really not a number, but the point is, get up early. Really, if, so, for, so for example, if you have to be at work at 6, if you get up at 5, you've done it. This has been the thing that the enemy has been trying to keep me from my whole life. He wants me to love sleep. Hey, listen, this is going to sound ridiculous. Some of us have not turned the corner in our lives because we sleep too much. You will not get up in the morning. The most important keystone habit you can have is to get up a great while before bed. That will change everything in your life. Can I show you some stuff? Yes. Now, we ain't even gotten the word live yet. I'm going to show you that momentarily. I'm going to sign it off. Okay, I've got a few minutes. People that get up early in the morning have better grades. Sister Witt, better grades. They are more proactive. They anticipate problems. They're better planners. They have time to exercise. They sleep better. Now, isn't that strange? If I get up earlier, I'm going to sleep better? Mm -hmm. You know why? Because if you make up your mind to get up early, then you're going to go your butt to bed early. <laughs> and let me tell you what some people say. Some people say, I'm a night owl. I'm not a morning person. Everyone's body is built on circadian rhythm. You ever heard of that before? Spirits, Christ at creation, designed their circadian and circumspectum rhythm, which means that we were designed based on the, the rising and setting of the sun. Now, if you're not a morning person, you've been conditioned that way by lifelong habits. If you are a morning person, you've been conditioned that way by lifelong habits. 
Let me give you an example. When uh, our first child was born, Taylor, we came across a book called Baby Wise. Some of you may not have heard of it. By some Christian uh, psychologists trying to teach parents how to have structure in their kids' lives from day one and how to get babies to sleep through the night by the time they're 10 weeks. So, hey, listen, I grabbed a hold of that thing. Come on, say hello. Now, my wife didn't grab a hold of it that quick because, you know, early on, the, the wives want the babies to sleep in the bed with you. But, listen, brother. <laughs> I love them little munchkins. <laughs> but listen, after about one week of that, come on in here. And so I said, listen, I want, if there's a way to do it. And some of us think that, well, I had a good baby. My baby stepped through. Every human being is conditioned to be the way they are. And what they say is, when a baby comes out of the womb, a baby does not know how to do the following. They don't know how to eat, they don't know how to sleep, and they don't know how to use the bathroom. Because if they did, you wouldn't need a diaper. So can I blow your mind? You know, what you know what their suggestion is? They said, when the baby is born, they will sleep guaranteed through the night in 10 weeks if you do the following things. Wake them in this order. Feed them. Play with them. Put them to sleep. Wake them. Feed them. Play with them. Put them to sleep. I know it because my wife was in school. I was, I was at home with little babies. Wake them. Feed them. Play with them. Put them to sleep. Boom. Just routine. And some people say, well, my baby did work. Listen, we did this for 10 weeks. And I'm telling you, I remember one night Taylor cried for 20 minutes. Because they tell you when the baby is crying, don't pick that baby up. Now, some of y'all, this especially when my, my mom was there, you got to keep, keep them folk out. Because they want to use conventional wisdom. Because in our life, the appeal for us was that the baby will be able to sleep in all manner of noise. We always had noise in our house. You know how some people, they have a baby, and you know stuff's going on in the house, and they shh, I'm trying to put my baby to sleep. Uh, turn the TV down. Don't, don't, don't walk. Don't breathe. So the baby will sleep under any conditions at church. Didn't matter. We needed that. Huh? And said, so when a baby cries, babies don't cry because they're hurting. Babies cry because they don't know how to talk. If you notice, most of the time when these infants are crying, ain't no tears coming out of their eyes. They're frustrated, and so they don't know how to talk, so it sounds like crying. I remember one night that she she cried with blood curdling cry. And I said, we can't do this. I'm going to pick her up. Because you know, old, old school way, you get a baby, you rock that baby to sleep, you know, all that kind of stuff. But every time you do that to a baby, you condition the baby that in order for me to go to sleep, you got to rock him to sleep. I want a baby that was going to be able to do what I told him to do what I told him to do. <laughs> no, but trust me, it works. Let me tell you, for 10 weeks, Carl Poole, for 10 weeks, we followed this thing, and it drove us crazy because the baby would not adjust. I lie to you not. On week number 10 or 11, from 7 p.m. that night to 7 a.m. in the morning, the baby slept for 12 hours straight and did not stop. To this day, my children, if they are off that schedule, you'll see it in their behavior. What's the point I'm trying to make? That because we are people of schedule and habit, in order for us to work and to operate at optimum capacity according to God's plan for our lives, 
We have to live on purpose, which suggests we have to live with a schedule. And in order for us to be really successful, you've got to get up in the morning. Retired? Come on in here. Now, retired folks are a little different. Your morning might be different from ours. No matter. Your day starts. I discovered when 8 or 9 o'clock comes, that's when interruptions come. That's when the phone starts ringing. That's when bill collectors start calling. That's when life gets to moving. And if I have not done what I needed to do before that time, I'm not going to do it. Some of the young boys say, come on, let's go work out. What time? 3, 8, 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I don't got time for that. I don't got, listen, I, I don't, I tried to tell them the other day, I don't have time to work out at 6 p.m. at night. I got kids. And I, Lord knows, I ain't working out at 10. Some of these young brothers, man, these guys work out at all different guys. I need a schedule. And God told me this. He says, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be deep in my word, if you want to write another book, you got to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And if I'm going to get up at 4, I got to go to bed, 9.30, 10. 10.30 max. What I'm suggesting to you right now is not a good idea. It's the word of God. The most successful man that we know is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's life was ordered by a habitual consecutive, consistent meeting with his father, the Bible says, a great while before day. And see, we need science now to make us believe that it's important for us to get up in the morning. But brothers and sisters, Jesus has been, Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. Some people say, I like to study my word late at night. Your body your body, from a phys- physiological perspective, cannot imbibe information at 2 a.m. in the morning. I got some friends of mine that get up at 3. Eric Thomas says, sleep is for suckers. My man Eric, I ain't there yet. Eric gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, how are you so productive? He says, because I get most of what I get done that the world is trying to figure out what they're going to do after 9 o'clock. He says, I've already been up five hours. I've written books. I've spent time with God for two and three hours already. No wonder we don't have no power. Because our day interrupts us. When we wake up, we wake up interrupted by our day. When great people get up, they get up and they're already ready. These young, these young folk coming to me, come on, they're going to be this, they're going to be that, they're going to be all successful. They're going to be like Beyonce, they're going to be like Jay-Z, they're going to be like all these folk. Ain't they ain't at the club? These athletes and stuff, we think they're party animals. They're not at the club. These folks are in bed. They, 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 in the book, they wrote a story about Michael Phelps. Y'all remember Michael Phelps? He's an uh, Olympic swimmer. And the reason why Michael Phelps is so bad is because Michael's whole life is based on a, a habit and schedule. They said when Michael's getting ready to swim, he says he follows a habit. It's the same diet, the same time he gets up, same bump, bump, bump. Everything is the same. He says it's become rote memory for him. So in the 2000, what was it? Is it when was the Olympics? 2012? Yeah. The most recent Olympics? 2012, when he broke the world's record, right? Yeah. What happened was this. 
And when he got into the pool, he follows the same routine. He swings and stretches his arms the same amount of time. Every day, rope memory, same habit. So what happened is, is one, on one particular day, when he broke the world record and he dived into the pool, same habit, same ritual, what happened was his goggle got filled with water. Most swimmers, it would have totally messed them up. I didn't realize they're actually looking when they're down there. They're looking. They're following the lines. They're looking to see who's next to them. What happened was is because he had habitually practiced John swimming in the dark, it says when the water began to fill in his goggle, he just closed his eyes and had done what his memory had, done, had taught him to do. Got the world record, Percy. <laughs> Now I said, man, if athletes can live with that kind of, and this is really what we're talking about, discipline. God, I'm preaching to myself this morning. If they could live with that kind of discipline, many of us live undisciplined lives. We've got no regard for our time or anybody else's time, our bodies or anybody else. Well, our life is just haphazard. So the best example is Christ. Christ is the most predictable person you can yes. ever find. He's predictable. He's a creature of habit. Look what Luke 5, 16 says. Take your Bibles. Almost done. And so today's keystone habit is you got to get up. Somebody say you got to get up. You got to get up. Whatever time you're getting up right now, it ain't early enough. <laughs> Whatever time you're getting up right now, it ain't early enough. Some of you get up. Now, here's the thing. There are some of us who are morning people. We get up, but we... As, my, as Pastor Ben Jones would say, we piddle. Y'all know what I mean by piddle? Yes. Any Southern folk know what I mean by piddle? Yes. We, first thing you do is you turn on a TV. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Or, or, I mean, or you, or you fiddling in the refrigerator. Some of you just up, but you're not up. Here's what I want you to get, Norma Jean. You're not up with a plan. This is what I had been missing. When I would get up, I'd get up. But I'd go back to sleep, I'd hit the snooze button, or I'd be reading my Bible and I'd go to sleep because I had no plan or no strategy in those, in those first two hours. See, in my, I don't know about your life, but in my life, my kids get up at 7. If I don't do what I got to do between, between 4 and 7, it's not going to get done. Notice what it says of Christ. Luke 5, 16 says this, yet the news about him spread all the more. All right? So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. I put this text in here because I want you to see this, Sister Grant. That Jesus was the, was the most, uh, how, how do I say? He was the busiest person who ever lived. People that say they don't have time to commit to schedule God don't know what they're talking about. If you are a person of priorities, Sister Gibson, if you are a person of priorities, uh, Sister Holly Edwards, if you're a person of priorities, Charmaine, if you're a person of priorities, the stuff that matters in your life always gets done. So notice this. What we're saying is Christ was busy. Don't he what folks think that Christ is just wasting time hanging out with the disciples, healing whoever came his way. He already knew what he was going to do before his day got started. And we're also talking about somebody who would spend whole nights in prayer. Spirit of Prophecy says that Christ prayed not because he was God, but because he was human. 
Watch this. In verse 16, notice what it says. It says here, watch it, guys. Look at it in your word. But Jesus often, what does the King James Version say? Verse 16 of Luke 5. Somebody shout it out. What does the scripture say? And, and he withdrew himself. Read, Carl. He withdrew himself. Uh-huh. He withdrew himself to the wilderness and prayed. That's all the King James Version says, right? And ask the King James misses a Greek word. See, the word withdrew takes on not only where he went, but how often he did it. Watch this. Watch this. This is beautiful. Notice what the NIV says. It says, but Jesus often, often, Sister Anthony suggests it was a habit. He often withdrew to lonely places. You know, and what did he do, everybody? And he prayed. This is the keystone habit that we need to embrace as we move into 2014. Number one, we've got to make the commitment often, habitually, consecutively, repeatedly, no matter how it feels, no matter how it hurts, that we will rise up early in the morning and we will, we will, with, we will, uh, we will draw away in loneliness and solitude and we will spend time in God's presence. That has the power to shift your whole life. Can we go to one more text? Mark 1. Go to Mark 1. Is this helping anybody this morning? I'm about to get real practical yeah. in a second. I'm going to tell you something Sister Radney told me when I went to go see her. By the way, she turns 99 today. So we're going to sing happy birthday to her. Mark 1 says, in verse 32, that evening, are you, are you there? Mark 1? Mark 1? Mark 1, verse 32? You got to see this. I've been trying to avoid this thing my whole life. I said, oh, you don't got to get up. I'm a late person. Man, bottom line, you always come for. In order to be successful in God, in business, in your profession, you got to get your hips up. You got, it's mind over matter. You got to tell your body, you ain't controlling me. I'm getting up. And if I'm getting up, I got to go to bed because I got, plan I got stuff I want to accomplish before I go to my job. I don't want my job to run my life. There's some things in my life that I need to accomplish even before I see that crazy boss. Isn't it amazing why there's, you know why there's traffic in the morning? Anybody want to know why there's traffic? Because everybody gets up around the same time. That's true. You go out on 480 at 730, guess what? You're in trouble. Those are all your folks that got up 15 minutes before they got into the car and they jumped into their clothes and ran out. But how many know if you want to get to work undisturbed, driving on the, I love what uh, uh, Rizzo, Rizzo, Rizzo talks about how he gets up early for his radio show and he just has nobody out there on 77. It's just, I mean, it's just beautiful Cleveland. He sees the skyline. But if you want to be a cussing, mad, your spirit discerned person in the morning, then get up late and run into traffic and all the drama. It, see, if you're a creature of habit, anything that interferes with that, traffic included, will interrupt your spirit. Right. Notice what Mark 1 says. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all, how many did I say? All the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town. How many, everybody? Gathered at the door. Talking about somebody busy. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. 
Verse 35 says, but even after that long day, are y'all with me this morning? I'm telling you, what I am teaching you right now, people pay thousands of dollars for motivational speakers to tell them, but you already knew this because you got a Bible. There are people right now hungry to be successful, hungry to be billionaires and millionaires. And one thing they don't do, I mean, they don't get up and spend time with God. I mean, they, I mean, they, they get up in the morning trying to figure out how they're going to make a profit. But they realize that in order to be successful, to be productive, to be proactive, I've got to get up because I've got to beat the next person who's getting up two hours later than I am. The Bible says in verse 35, very early. How early, everybody? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. <laughs> this is before resurrection. Come on, say amen. He got up. He was in the habit of getting up. Come on in here, y'all. He got up, left the house. Lord have mercy. And went off to a solitary place where he prayed. There are a couple of things I want to show you about this. Number one, Jesus had a time to pray. He had a, he scheduled it. And I'm going to ask you right now, when is your time? Don't answer out loud. When is your time? When do you schedule? When is your scheduled time? Not on the prayer line. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Am am I right, Elder Goss? We're not talking about the prayer line. The the Bible doesn't say Jesus got up early in the morning and had prayer with the disciples. That's prayer line. Jesus said, Jesus got up early. He said, he said, before I get to these crazy disciples and their crazy prayer requests, I've got to, (laughs) I've got to get with God all by myself. This, Ellen White says, this was the secret to his power. That's why the disciples, when they came to him, they did not say, Jesus, show us how to do miracles. Jesus, show us how to preach like you. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. He had a time to pray. Number two, he had a place to pray. What I discovered, practical stuff, my problem was when I got up in the morning, I would turn over. Huh? I would turn, that was my getting up. Turn over. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and then open the Bible. Oh, no, you're dead. You're dead in the water. Uh, lean over. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And then uh, <laughs> talk about I'm, I, I want to be prostrate. <laughs> I tell my, listen, I, I want to I lay before God. Well, uh, well, listen, get on the floor then. Come on, say amen. So here's the thing about getting up. If you get up and you go to a solitary place, it does two things for you. It helps you to get up. Some of you need to get up and take a shower first. Do that. Some of you need to exercise first before you get in God's word to wake yourself up. I know many people, their first practice in the morning is to take a prayer walk or a jog prayer. They get up and they have their shoes ready and they go outside and they're walking. Doesn't matter how cold it is, they're in the presence of God. They're bundled up, they have layers on, but they're there. I mean, and in some of our neighborhoods, we know this is different. Get up, walk around in that apartment complex, go up and down them stairs if you have to, but you just in the presence of God. God, thank you for waking me up this morning. God, just fill me with your spirit. God, open my heart up and my mind to what you're going to speak in my life today. But they ha- you have to get up. And you have to, number two, you don't have the time to pray, but you got to have a place to pray. You need to set it up. Many of us have these nice living rooms in our homes where all this furniture, and you put plastic on it because you don't want nobody to sit on it. And those rooms, I don't get living rooms. It makes no sense to me. Nobody uses living rooms but like once a year. I mean, there's no need for a living room. Listen, if you're going to have a living room, fine, but turn it into a worship room. Turn it into a place. This is going to be my place where I get up in the morning and I go here. There's no TV. There's nothing. It's just me and God. And if you got to walk around, that's what I'll do. I'll walk around. I'm blessing him. I'm praising him. 
singing. My hands are lifted. I'm singing to the glory of God. You got to do what you got to do. Got to have a place. Number three, and you got to have a way to pray. A way to pray. Number three, a way to pray. One thing we know about Christ, and I got to move quickly. Christ prayed aloud. If you pray in your heart, your prayers will not make sense. You start repeating yourself over and over again. Talk to him aloud. How do we know Jesus prayed aloud? Because his prayers are recorded in scripture. Why are his prayers recorded in scripture? Because somebody heard what he prayed. As a matter of fact, Hebrew says that he, cry, he prayed with great groans and great cries. I got to move quickly. The busiest person. Can, can I get 10 extra minutes? Can, can I have 10 extra minutes? Because I want to show you some practical. Can, can you please give me 10, 10 extra minutes? Huh? All, all in favor of it. Who, who, who's going to give me 10? Who's going to give me 10? I got 10 here, 10 here, 10 here, 10 here, 10 here. Okay, that's 50 minutes. Praise the Lord. What a generous church. Praise God. Listen, I really want to help you with this. Can I help you? Listen, it's not, see, I'm giving you information now. Now I've got to give you some practical stuff on how to make your time in the morning. Many of us fall. How many want to get up earlier? Let's be honest. How many want to get up earlier? But listen, we fall because when we get up, we have no plan. Listen to what Ellen White says. She says, no other life was ever so crowded with labor and responsibility as was that of Jesus. Yet, how often he was found in prayer. So busyness is not an excuse. She says this, many attend, and this is what Coltsman and I have been trying to tell you, many attend religious services, don't miss this, many attend religious services and are refreshed and comforted by the word of God, but through neglect of meditation, watchfulness, and prayer, they lose the blessing, Woo! mercy, and find themselves more destitute than before they received it. Did you hear what that just said? If you come to services, and this is why we're encouraging these small groups and time in God's presence, if you come to Sabbath services, and let's say the preacher preaches you under the pew, guess what? If by tomorrow you don't raise up early in the morning and spend time with God, she says you lose the blessing. You lose it. That's why what we do here today ain't enough. Come on, talk to me, somebody. Okay, let, me, let me keep rolling. Let me keep moving here. Shit, now, I love this part. And this is what motivated my time in the Word. Some of us, are listening. I'm not, this is not, I'm not trying to, I don't want to be legalistic, <clears throat> okay? Because some of you spend no time with God. Not, not real quality time. It's, it's hit and miss, depending on the day, right? So I'm not going to give you a time. Some of you, at least 10, 15 minutes, minimum. Build a habit that every day I'm going to spend time. At least 10, 15 minutes. But notice what Ellen says. See, 10, 15 minutes... I'm just, getting out of, I'm just getting out of my first phase of worship. And those of you who know about getting in his presence, 10, 15 minutes, Lord, what? man, that thing goes by, that's three songs that I didn't play. I've got a praise and worship track list on my, on my iPhone, and sometimes I'm caught up in, it's marvelous, and then I'm caught up in no weapon formed against you, then I'm caught up, he's been faithful, and I'm going down this list of songs, and next thing you know, an hour has gone by, because I'm in there just praising the Lord. 15 minutes. But, but, but if you're not there yet, at least commit to that. Amen? She says this, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. V. 
the early morning often found him in a secluded place, meditating, searching the scriptures, or in prayer. With the voice of singing, he welcomed them all. Ooh, I like that. So, and now, now we're going to get practical. You know what Jesus did first thing in the morning? First of all, she says we ought to spend a thoughtful hour. And we ought to trace specifically the last scenes of Christ's life. See, if you spend the first part of your day dealing with the cross, you can't walk out of here arrogant. You can't walk out of your house without no hope. This is Ellen. Now listen, y'all know y'all believe in the spirit of prophecy. Ellen says you ought to spend at least a thoughtful hour just on his life. Yo, watch this though. <laughs> I'm getting so excited right now. See, when Jesus got up, the first thing he would do is would sink. I wish I could be there. I had to, man, come on, I'm sorry. Man. I mean, can you imagine on the Mount of Olives as you're down in the valley and you hear this voice? <laughs> come on. Now, we've heard some singers over the years, have we not? I don't know if Jesus could sing or not as a human. I just like to believe that he could. Come on, say amen. But can you imagine Jesus, the first thing he did, he would climb that mountain and the Son of God would begin to open up his mouth and sing to his daddy. <laughs> There's a strategy in that. There's a strategy in that. It's not best to roll over. And, I'm telling you, the first thing you should do when you get up and have, and have time with God is not read. That's true. That's true. I'm going to show you. So you need a plan, all right? So Sister Rachel Radney told me her plan. See, all great people, they got a plan. So I said, Sister Radney, we over there, Sister Radney. I said, Sister Radney, what are you doing? Well, she said she has a set, a set plan every morning. Well, what is it? She says, first thing she does, she says, after they sing hymns unto the Lord. <laughs> there it is. We said, she's singing, blessing the name of the Lord, singing unto his glory. She says, then she reads Psalms 1, Psalms 8, Psalms 27, Psalms 37, Psalms 51, Psalms 63, Psalms 115, Psalms 117, 1 Corinthians 13. She prays three times a day. And her Chester, she said, my Chester drawer is my altar. She has a place. Now, now, what are, what, now I said, Sister Bradley, uh, now she can quote all of those passages of scripture by memory. How? She says, because I've been reading them every day for the past 50 years. She said, Pastor, I get new insights every time I read them. What am I saying about her? When she wakes up, she's got a plan. She says after she does all that, then she gets in her Sabbath school lesson. For most of you, your time with God is the Sabbath school lesson, and that's why you don't got no power. Some of us listen to people's sermons. First thing we do, we listen to a sermon. What you're doing is you're listening to regurgitated word. When you can get to the word by yourself... And God will talk straight to you. I've been teaching you all the SOAP method. SOAP, S-O-A-P. I've been teaching, that's a way to study the Bible. I've been teaching that now since I've been here for four years. And folks are saying, Pastor, when are you going to teach us how to study the Bible? Every year I teach that method. That's just a rabbit. Now I'm gonna tell you, can I tell you mine? And then we'll close. I'm going to tell you mine. I mean, I'm just, well, thank God he's getting me here. 4.30. Trying to get to 4. 4.30. 4.30, give or take five. 
Give yourself some grace. Come on, say amen. But don't be like 435 faith. 435, first thing I do is turn on the music with my headphones so I can't look at the mic, and I worship. I mean, I sing unto God. I begin to bless him. I have, I, have, I have a set list of worship songs that I listen to every morning. I've added some new ones, and I'm constantly looking for more stuff. And, I, and as I'm singing, I'm praising God, and I'm talking to him. Oh, take me to the king. Listen, listen I, I was talking about the other day how the song's getting on my nerves because they played it so much on the radio until I heard it, uh, until I played it the other morning. Take me to the king. <laughs> Oh, my God. And you're just in his presence and you're singing to the glory of God. That's the first thing I do. I used to take the hymnal out and, and, and sing the hymnal, but now since everything is digital, I play and I'm in there and I'm just blessing his name. I remember Winston came downstairs and he saw me. I mean, just my hands are lifted. My eyes were closed. He, what, what happened to this boy is crazy. And I'm just, I mean, I'm just blessing him. I'm just, oh, God bless your name. Uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, I'm blessing him. And when I'm done that, I read a song. So I'm going through the Psalms. So that means I'll go through Psalms twice a year. There's 150 Psalms. And guess what? You do 150 twice? Come on, say amen. I go through the Psalms about twice a year, right? And so I read through the Psalms. And, and, and you know what was Psalms 1? Psalms 1 is what? Uh, uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not into the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sin, nor sin, nor sin, nor scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law. And you're just reading and, and, and see the Psalms I like because Psalms are prayers. And see, my, well, see, some people say, I read, then pray. No, no, no. I read and pray at the same time. See, Worship, worship is not something you say, well, I'm going to sing, then I'm going to read, then I pray. No, no, no. I'm, I'm praising God through the, the lesson. I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping him with the devotion. I'm worshiping him with the song. As I'm reading the song, uh, Psalms 59, well, 51, create within me, oh God, a clean heart and renew the right spirit. I'm not just reading. I'm talking to God. I'm saying, God, you got to create in me a clean heart. 4.30, music and praise. Then I read a song. Then I got a plan. I read an Ellen White devotion. There are about 10 of them. I have them right on my phone, on my iPad. Right now, I'm doing Christ Triumphant. I read an Ellen White devotion. And Ellen White is so Christ-centered, just powerful stuff. I'm reading now about the fall of Lucifer, and God has been dealing with me the past few days about pride. Then when I'm done with that, that takes about five minutes. When I'm done with that, then I go to the Gospels, and I look at the closing scenes as was suggested. This is something I just picked up from Dwight Nelson. I go now every day. I read either through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. In Matthew, it's Matthew 27. In Mark, it's Mark 14. In John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke is Luke 23. In John, it's John chapter 19. And I will look at those chapters every day just rehearsing what Christ did for my sin. Then I get into my chronological Bible study. Right now I'm doing a chronological Bible study. Genesis through Revelation, but Genesis through Revelation based on chronology. You know what chronology is? Based on time. You know that the Bible is not currently ordered based on a sequence of events? No, it's based on themes. But now I'm reading, and see, I go from Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, and then chronology says the next thing that happened is Job. Job's before Abraham. And so when the Bible says he's the greatest man in all of the East, that means he was the greatest amongst those who were some of the greatest human beings ever. Job was like Bill Gates. He was the greatest man in the world. After I'm done the chronological Bible study, and all the while I'm journaling, I'm writing. I'm writing. I strongly suggest you take out something and you write. I'm writing. Then I have a select book that I study. It's a different book depending on how God leads me. This is where 
uh, spontaneity is open. So right now I'm reading a book called One Way Love by Tulian uh, Den. That's uh, Billy Graham's uh, grandson. He writes a powerful book on God's grace. And that's what I'm reading right now. When I'm done, I take out my circle list. That's what I call it now. You know what that is, right? That's my intercessory prayer list. When I'm done that book, I take out my intercessory prayer list. I call it the circle list. And I'm looking over names. And I'm, I'm really praying for myself. I'm praying for other people. And then I'm done and go exercise. Now, guess what? I can't do that in no hour. Now, listen, I'm just saying, that's my plan. Can't, I, I can't do that in no hour. But for what we want to accomplish, the stuff, I mean, we're hungry. For, how, how am I going to get 20 minutes? What? My point is this. Forget the time. You've got to have your plan and a strategy. I'm going to do this at that time, this at that time, and that at that time, so that you know before tomorrow what God is going to do in your life. I'm done. Hope that helps somebody. Amen. Amen. Now, the closing thing I want to say is, there will be days where you feel like you ain't getting nothing. Go ahead, Michelle. And I, I want to be careful to tell you this, Kishem. Every day that I have devotion, there's some days I can't even remember what I did. Let's be honest. Every day ain't the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> where, where the Lord comes down and it's some days I can't even remember what God said. But guess what I realized? The power is in repeating the habit. Because notice, the Mount of Transfiguration only happened once in Jesus' life. Out of three and a half years, we are to assume that he had time with his father every day. That's about a thousand or more so days that he had with God, but he only had one Mount of Transfiguration time. This is my point. If you stay in his presence, the Mount of Transfiguration will come. But if you miss a day, you might miss a blessing. My appeal is simple. Is there anybody here who hears the word? You receive the challenge. You're going to go home and schedule a plan and a time to be with God. You're going to exercise, which means you might have to walk. Those of you who retired, go on to the mall and walk around the mall, whatever, whatever it is. But I'm saying right now, don't just say wishful thinking. I want to do this. I want to do that. You have got to write down a plan. And it must first start with God. If God spoke to your heart today in that way, I want you to come down here right now that I might pray for you. Pastor Cox, 